0: It's was on my heart to address the issue with you of personal purity uh, this morning. Personal purity. In fact, Dom read the text for us. You can turn there to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. There was uh, no demanding reason that I brought this text. I think it's on my heart. I thought I didn't want to get back in John, and I thought this would serve our purpose as a reminder to us on this most important subject, really, for all of us. You know, I was reading this week about grizzly bears. Grizzly bears are arguably the most significant animal threat to human beings in America. It's interesting, when you look a little bit at their background in this article that I was reading, is that grizzly actually means golden-haired, is what it meant originally. But then, as words develop, and as words become institutionalized, a man by the name of George Ord, O-R-D, classified them, not for their golden hair, but what he called... Quote, their grizzly character. In fact, the word grizzly means literally causing horror. In fact, he classified, did ord, the grizzly bear as the horrible American bears. And it was put in Latin, but I'll spare you of that title. And these deceptively docile looking fuzzy creatures are notorious for their dexterity at killing human beings. And this they can do with just a casual swat. They can just take a life right there. But they also are adept and notorious for feasting on the carcass of those whom they kill. And since they can move faster than your average cyclist, There is no use in trying to outrun them. Your best defense, should you have the unhappy privilege of encountering one of them in the wild this summer, okay, is to lie, at least this article said, in the fetal position, play dead and hope it's not hungry, okay? That is, unless you are Tim Treadwell, Treadwell was nicknamed Grizzly Man. And he spent 13 months in this place called the Katmai National Park, which is in Alaska, living with bears. He captured some of the most intimate and spectacular footage of grizzlies that you'll ever see. And over time, and this is recorded he would walk right up to them and stroke, kind of stroke them like a domestic pet, like a dog. I probably wouldn't say like a cat, but like a dog, okay? And Treadwell was not afraid of the bears, nor were they afraid of him. And that actually became a problem. Park officials viewed him as, one article said, misguided at best and at worst, dangerous. Dangerous. For no known, uh, dangerous, because they were concerned that his example could lead others to believe that these bears, grizzly bears, were harmless. In fact, all the other bear experts agreed that the grizzlies were still dangerous and that Treadwell was treading on thin ice by being near them. And unfortunately, the experts were right. In 2003, He was in that national park with his girlfriend, Amy, and tragedy struck. For no known reason, a bear suddenly, just suddenly, killed both Treadwell and his girlfriend. Not only did it kill them, but it then proceeded to eat them. And the only part of his body that was found was his severed arm... With his wristwatch still ticking, as if the bear wanted to make him make some macabre point that his time with them was running out and had run out. You know, as I think about that story, I think in the spiritual realm, we at times can forget the nature of sin and temptation. We can snuggle up to sin and act as though at times it's not destructive. And the point would be that as if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, sin and temptation are hunting for precious life. Sin and temptation. I mean, the truth is in an impure world, The world can suck you under real, real quick. And before you know it, you're down a path that you don't want to be. And beloved, the scriptures are packed, full of people who have compromised with the world. Just for the sake of a few illustrations, Samson compromised. He was impure with a woman, lost his strength, lost his eyesight, And lost his life in Judges chapter 16. David. We know the story of David. He compromised his purity by committing adultery with Bathsheba. Then he murdered Bathsheba. Or excuse me, her husband Uriah. And then they of course lost their infant son. And the sword never departed from his family. Solomon of course, maybe the greatest example of all. Compromised his purity. He married foreign women, and then he lost his kingdom. Beloved, I don't think I have to say it too much or too emphatically. Sin is absolutely destructive. It's destructive. And so the question that I pose for you this morning is, how can we remain holy in an unholy world. How do we do that? And the answer is given to us in the Word of God, in Psalm 119. I'm going to look at verses 1 through, excuse me, 9 through 16, okay? How do we remain holy in an unholy world? Or maybe I could just say the title, how do you live pure in an impure world? And the Word of God Certainly, for that, understatement is the key to personal purity, okay? If you want to live pure in an impure world, then the Word of God is key. You have to know when I say that, I'm smiling, it is the means, it is the hope for your soul this morning. It is the hope of living in purity in an impure world. And with all my heart, I believe that is the answer for us. And so my message this morning is hope filled, okay? I'm not necessarily thinking I've got something on my mind I need to. But but you need to listen to this because there's not a week that, that goes by where somebody's not fallen into sin that I'm aware of people that I know, people that I've met, people that are on and looking at stuff they shouldn't look at. You say, well, Scott, it's just uh, too difficult. No, if you're saved by the Spirit of God and have the Holy Spirit and hold in your lap this book, it is the key to personal purity. Purity. Now listen, before I dive into the text, let me tell you the background of this psalm in Psalm 119. I'm not sure what kind of uh, Bible you're holding. Uh, All the translations are good, the true translations. But Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. Maybe you know that. In fact, you can kind of just glance. In my Bible, it has Aleph. That's the first Uh, letter, if you will, of the Hebrew alphabet. Our second section is Beth uh, for the second word, but and so forth. All the way down it goes. Psalm 119 in the Hebrew is 22 sections of eight verses each. And the first word of the eight verse stanza is begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet that it corresponds to. In fact, I'll say it one more time, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And the first one, the first eight, you can see it there. My Bible says Aleph. It's just a little header at the top if you don't have it, and then you see one through eight. The second section is Beth which again is that second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and there's eight more verses there. Now, our section here in verses 9 through 16, the, the word bath it just means house. And what's interesting about this section that we find ourselves in, there's much written on this text. Psalm 119, the, all, the whole of it. Spurgeon, if you have... The Treasury of David devoted 349 pages just to Psalm 119. This is a significant chapter, okay? Charles Bridges, a Puritan, devoted and wrote 481 pages just on Psalm 119. The largest of all is is a three-volume work, it makes sense, by another Puritan. His name was Thomas Manton, and each of those volumes were five to 600 pages in length for a total of 1,677 pages by Thomas Manton just on this chapter. In fact, I looked last night... They sell Thomas Manton on Kindle for under 10 bucks. It was like a hundred, you know, like I said, 1,000 and 1,600 pages. It's a significant chapter. I'll spare you a lot of the history, but it's changed a number of people's life. From Will, William Wilberforce to Henry Martin to a guy, a, a missionary by the name of David Livingstone. Some of you remember that name. I used to read biographies to my kids Every night when we were growing up. Every night. I just pull out these little bi- these biographies of great missionaries. And I read Livingstone to them. He was a missionary to Af- Africa many years ago. He won a Bible from his Sunday school teacher. And he won that Bible from his Sunday school teacher by repeating Psalm 119 by heart as a nine-year-old. Parents, what are you putting in to the life of your little children. Hopefully you're reading the word of God to them and reading great biographies to them. It's quite impressive when, if you looked at the end of Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. Maybe most striking for me is one time I was at a shepherd's conference a few years back and Mark Dever, the pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, was speaking and we opened to Psalm 119 and he was preaching on parts of Psalm 119, and he read the whole psalm in one setting. Who could forget that? Probably took him about 15 minutes. I never forgot it. I mean, this is just a significant psalm. Beloved, I want you to know that the most striking feature, though, of Psalm 119 is that almost every single verse of the psalm refers to the Word of God with only maybe just a few exceptions. Certainly out of the 176, over 170 are talking about the word of God. It is, as you know, the longest chapter in the Bible. And so, beloved, here's the point, though, in ours. In an impure world, surrounded by filth, surrounded by by sin, surrounded by greed, surrounded by lust, God's word is the means to personal purity in an impure world. The theme of this psalm is right there in verse 9. Look at it. Here's the theme of this section in 9 through 16. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? He says there, by guarding it according to your word. Now you'll note that he begins with young men. It's not that if you're not a young man, it's not applicable to you. It is to to all of us. But he begins with young men. I think it's rather obvious, don't you? Habits are forming. Friendships are being created. Decisions are being made. And he particularly zeroes in on the young men in this place. Now, you'll note that what he's going to say to these young men is saturated by the word of God. Look at verse 9. He says there, you keep it pure by guarding it according to, he says, your word. Look at verse 10. He says, second half, let me not wander from your commandments. Look what he says in verse 11. Every verse, like I told you, I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 12, second portion, teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules, he calls the word of God, of your mouth. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies. Verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts. Verse 16, two references there. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Again, in God's word, we find the path to personal purity. How can a young man keep his way pure? I could say, how does an older man keep his way pure? How does a woman keep her way pure? And the answer is: we in God's word we find personal purity. Clearly, this text in Psalm all of 119 is one of the greatest passages in all of the scripture on personal sanctification. For sure, it is one of the greatest. I would say to any of you, if you're struggling with aspects of purity, there's hope this morning, and the hope is bound up in the word of God. Let me just highlight a couple of the features along, maybe I could just call it a four-fold path to personal purity, okay? Get your pins out. People are dropping right and left. Another pastor went down and resigned this week. Two weeks ago, another pastor of a church of 20,000 people resigned. They're dropping right and left, and parents, you need to be aware of this. You say, My kids are little. I'm like, Oh, really? Planned parenting already has your kids marked out in elementary school. You say, What do you mean? They're planning on sowing their seeds in the life of your children at school. They have goals, at least I heard one woman say, who ran a clinic, of getting the average teenager to have three abortions by the time she was 18. Listen, I'm just warning you, parents. I don't have to warn you. This is a rough, impure world, to say the least. So get your pen out. I'm going to give you a solution, and I'm going to offer you hope I trust without discouraging you. Number one, here's the personal path to purity, is pursue God's word. Pursue God's word. It's found in verse 10. Look at it. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. You can see he begins there with my whole heart. In other words, you're pursuing God You're pursuing his word. And here's what the psalmist says: if you're gonna guard your way and help a young man stay pure and help us stay pure, is you do it according to your word. But here's the practical application. I'm already into my application. You pursue God with your whole heart. Now, when I say heart, and when the Hebrew says heart, it probably means something different. When I say heart to you, you might be thinking, oh, that's you might be thinking touchy-feely. You might be thinking a word that is expressed. You might be thinking of uh, words that maybe a husband would give to his wife. But I want you to know the Hebrew term here is really not so much uh, emotional. In the Hebrew, the word for heart was very rational. It was very volitional, if I can say it that way. The heart in the scripture, in the Old Testament to the Hebrews, is the place where decisions are made. It is the core, the Bible says, of our being. The Bible talks in the Word of God that it is the seat of understanding. The heart in Scripture is the source of thought. It's the source of reflection. It is, to say this, it is the seat of the will. So when we think hard in our society, we're thinking something emotionally, but not here. He begins by saying this, that your best defense is a good offense, and here the best offense is to pursue God. And so here is the, the psalmist. It is with his entire being, is what he's saying, is that he sought God. In fact, he talks about the heart here in verse 10. He talks about the lips in verse 13, declaring God's word and then he even talks about the eyes are fixed on God in verse 15. Here is an all-out pursuit of God himself. Now look down at the text again in verse 10. I want to be clear here and you understand this. He says, with my whole heart, now watch this, he said, I seek you. In other words, he's seeking, if you will, the person of God and God, of course, is revealed in the Bible in his word. In fact, look back from what Dom read earlier in 119 verse 2. I can just show you this. Just It's maybe on the same page. Blessed are those who keep, watch this, his testimonies. Who seek him with their whole hearts. Verse 3, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Verse four, but you have commanded your precepts. Down at five, verse B, in keeping your statutes. Verse six, then I will not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on your commandments. Here, the psalmist is pursuing God. He's pursuing a relationship with God as revealed in his word. In fact, it's from the fear of of wandering from God himself that he cries out, look at verse 10. You know, he's got a relationship with God. Let me not, 10 be wander from your commandments. In other words, he's got such a relationship with God, he doesn't want to stray from God. In fact, look at verse 11. He says there, I have stored up your word in my heart. In other words, as you would pat rack something, I'm just saying, he's storing up, not for a rainy day, he's storing the Word of God up in his heart. You say, well, why does he store up the Word of God in his heart? You know, look at verse 11b. He says, that I might not, what? You know this, sin against you. In other words, he's pursuing God. He's crying out to God, don't let me wander from your commandments. I'm putting that word, I'm packing it, I'm storing it up in my heart, and here's why. I don't want to sin against you. And there's something personal about that because whenever we understand our sin, our society, our culture, (laughs) an understatement excuses all sin. And he says, no, 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 God, I want to be pure. Here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to pursue you. And and he cries out, I I don't want to wander. I don't want to stray from you. And I'm going to put it in my heart because I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin against you. He's like David. And, of course, David had a period of time where he was running from God. But remember, after a sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51.4, do you remember how he said that? Against you and you, what? Only have I sinned and done what is evil in your, what, sight. And so he, he, he understood that his sin was against God. Let me say this proactively to you. The more, the more you pursue God, revealed in his word, the more you will fall into dread, falling into sin, if you will. In other words, you put this book in your heart. You pursue God. You pursue his word. You don't want to wander from his commandments. You pack it in your hearts. You're going to find sin on the wane in your life. Here's what one Bible commentator by the name of Scroggy said. That's his last name. I like how he said it. He said, the best thing, the word, Is hidden in the best place, the heart, for the best purpose to not sin against you. I like that. The best thing, the word, is hidden in the best place, the heart, for the best purpose to not sin against you. Let me ask you, what path do you follow to pursue personal purity? How do we say no to temptation in an impure world? the answer is god's word i think it comes up on the screen in psalm 37 i like this it's a contrast the law of god there it is second one is the law of his god is in his heart semicolon and his steps do not what slip says so god it's impossible no it's not this is a proactive, positive way. It's not impossible. I, just, I, I sometimes think, excuse the expression, when I was a young man and I watched this comedian and he was famous, Flip Wilson, for saying, the devil made me what? Do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. Here, the law of God is in his heart and his, his steps do not slip. Look over just for a second in Proverbs. Can I show this to you? And you know this in Proverbs 2. Let me just show you something. In Proverbs 2, one of my favorite chapters in the Word of God. And of course, in Proverbs 2, as you turn there, he's addressing the issue of wisdom a little bit later in 2. He's talking about wisdom will come to you. But before he addresses wisdom, look in Proverbs 2.1. I, I like this. He says, my son. It's like a father with his arm around his son. If you receive, watch this, my words and treasure up my commandments with you. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding. Now look over at verse 10. He said, for wisdom will come into your hearts. Verse 10, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And here's the point I wanted to take you to. Discretion will what? Watch over you. Understanding will what? Guard you. Verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil. And so here's the path. You pursue God's word as a means of thwarting sin. Discretion, young men, begins to watch over you. Understanding begins to guard you. Listen, when you pursue God's word with all your heart, it enables you not to sin against God. In fact, look back at Psalm 119 now. He continues that thought with verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. And then almost in a prayer, he says, teach me your statutes. In other words, teach me your word. Okay? And this is the refrain. There's a couple scriptures there when I told you of my ways. Look over at verse 26, That just down in 119. You answered me, and then he prays it again. Teach me your statutes. I love that. Look down at verse 33 of Psalm 119. Again, it's his prayer. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. In other words, you pursue God in his words You're not going to wander from him, and you're going to be able to guard your way. I always remember growing up at Grace Community Church, and John MacArthur told this story, and it always helped me. He told a story about two—he told me a story about one Eskimo fisherman. This Eskimo fisherman would come to town every Saturday afternoon— and every time he came to town on the Saturday afternoon, he brought two dogs with him. One of them was white, and the other one was black. And he had taught them to fight at his command. And every Saturday in the town square, the people would gather, and these two dogs would fight, and the fishermen would take bets. That's how he made his money. Not, I'm not saying do this. But on one Saturday, the black dog would win. And then on the other Saturday, the white dog would win. But every Saturday, the fisherman won. (laughs) He bet on the dog that was going to win. And so they begin to ask him how he did that. How could you predict and put the bet on both of your dogs? And each one would respectively win on the one you bet with. And he said this. He said, I starve the one and I feed the other, is what he said. And he said, the one I feed always wins because he's stronger. And I think there's a truth there, is there not? What you feed will win. And if you're pumping sin into your life, into your heart, into your eye, into the what you're seeing, Whatever you feed in the week is going to win. And I just think, listen, we've got to pursue God and pursue personal purity. Jesus said in John 17, seven, 17, sanctify them in your truth, and your word is truth. So, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. Here's the first path to personal purity, and it is this you pursue God's word. There's more I can say. How adamant are you pursuing God's word? Second path to personal purity. Let me put it this way. Declare God's word. Declare God's word. Look back in Psalm 119. And it's there in the text. Obviously the outline. Our sermon is all out of the text. But you recognize what he does in verse 13. He says this with my lips. I declare all the rules of your mouth. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Here's the flow. The one in verse 12 who is taught the Word of God is now in verse 13 the declarer of God's Word. He is, she is, verbalizing God's Word to others. So it says, with my lips, with my heart, I'm seeking you, but with my lips... I'm declaring all the rules of your mouth. The psalmist here is not only pursuing God's word in his heart, but he or she is also declaring God's word to others. He says, Scott, what's the point? Why? Well, who? who do you speak to on this stuff? In other words, I think there's an element here by way of implication that it's on his or her heart. And then it's being declared from their lips, and they're testifying to the word of God, whether you're single, single people, or whether you're married, or whether you're a mom who has one of the greatest duties ever given in all of life to pour truth into the life of your children. I just was, this just popped into my mind, it's probably bad, but I just, I was, I was listening to my three or four-year-old granddaughter, Shiloh, recite all of Luke 2 yesterday. All of it. That's quite a quite a you know, and she's of course so dramatic when she does it. All of it. And then there's my two year old Talia reciting another scripture and then losing focus and Christine promising to give her a piece of candy. But she's she's finding a way to get the word of God in her heart. So that it not only comes in the heart, but it, out, out it comes out of the mouth. Do you, do you remember that text in Colossians? Let the word of Christ, what does it say? Do you remember? Richly dwell within you. Uh, you know that part. It just means let it be at home in you. But here's the point I wanted to make. Then it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, when we sing together, as we just sung moments ago, so thankful for the worship team, I believe worship is a means of grace. I mean, there was nothing like singing with you last week. I think there was 1,300 people here with MacArthur, and to hear all your voices just resonating. But to me, that's Biblical. You say, why do we sing? One of the answers, there's many of them, Colossians 3. You're letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you and you're teaching and you're admonishing one another and that you're doing in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You say, well, Scott, what's the point? Well, here's the point. You cannot declare what you do not possess, period. So what are you talking about, pastor? You will not declare his praise out of your lips if you do not possess it in your heart. What goes on inside of you as a man or woman will come out in declaration. And I really believe that the psalmist has given us a path to purity. You pursue God's word, you declare his word. Do you remember that great section Next slide in Deuteronomy, I read it a lot, and I read it at the parent-child dedication, which is a parent dedication, but I just point it out to you one more time. You shall love, same thought, right? The Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, okay? And then here's the phrase I want you to catch. And these words that I command you today shall be on your, what? Hearts. And then you know where I'm going and what it says. Do you see that? Heart, period. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You can't impart what you do not possess. And so to get to the point where you're declaring his word, you've got to store that word in your heart. And then, parents, when it's on your heart, and, and I kind of want to say it would say, and then you shall teach them diligently to teach parents. Your children see you focused in the word. Do they? I'm just asking. I mean, I I want you to be pure moms. I want you to be pure dads, and I think you would agree with me. Hey, pastor, I want to pour my truth, but listen, if it's not on your heart, it ain't going to be on their heart. So you've got to find a way to make sure you're pursuing this path of purity, and you do it. How? By pursuing God and his word, and by declaring, if you will, praise for his word. You say, but Scott, what's the point here? I think this is a means of grace to us. You say, what do you mean by that? Who are you speaking to on the word of God? You know, one of the greatest joys of my ministry, you know what it was? I don't have to do it anymore. I used to preach four times every Sunday. Four, like this. Just out they go, in they come, out they go, in they come, out they go, in they come. And then another time on Sunday night, and Sunday night was different. But, you, you know, you say, were you tired? Yes, I, I mean, I might look to you like I'm in my 50s, but I'm only 35. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I'll tell you, uh, John Mack told me that. He said, Scott, you're just putting the word of God into my mind every day. So as I'm meditating on it, I get to declare it. And in the declaring of it, I'm putting it back in my mind. And I'm just asking you, where's your outlet? You, you, you want to be pure? Listen, if you want to be pure, who are, you, who are you connected to in a grace group? Who are you connected to in one of our ministries? And, and I think what you're going to find is as you and I occupy myself with what we should do, the things of the world go strangely dim, but I promise you, completely on the contrast there, that as you separate yourself, you'll separate yourself from this book, okay? But listen, I think he gives it to us as a means. You're taught the word by God, and then here you're declaring his word, and it's, it's a means of personal purity, thirdly, Okay? The path to personal purity is you delight in God's word. Look at verse 14. Here's the delight. You can see it. In the way of your testimonies, his word is, uh, is a testimony. I delight, as, as, this is amazing, as in much and all riches. I mean, his word is his testimony, and I've told you that before. Like, we're going to hear four testimonies at baptism on May 6th. Mark your calendar. That's always a thrilling time to hear someone's personal testimony. But, you know, God has a testimony. It's called the whole Bible. He's revealing to you what he says. We have a God who talks to us, a God who speaks to us, and he's revealed his heart and testimony to us. Look at verse 14. And so here the psalmist said, I delight as much as in all riches. You say, why does he do that, Scott? I think here it's a path to personal purity. He's running from the world. He's not wandering from his commandments. He's pursuing God with his entire being. He doesn't want to wander from God. He doesn't want to sin against God. Then he's declaring it, if you will, on his lips. And then he's delighting in it personally. You say, well, why would he delight in it? Because it's truth. Because it's a place of joy because it's a place of immense value, because it's eternal. In fact, these are the testimonies. Look at Psalm, stay there in 119. Let me show you this. Look at verse 72. He says it all over the place. Verse 72, he says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. If you want to be pure, then you're going to esteem it more than the things of the world. Look at Psalm 119. Look over at verse 127. He says there, therefore, I love your commandments. He said above gold, above fine gold. Look down, if you will, Psalm 119. Look over to 162. 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds a great spoil. Proverbs 2 talks about this. You seek her for silver. You search for her with hidden treasures. For her gain from the word of God is better than the gain of silver and her profit than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. This is the testimony of the scripture. You ought to be one delighting in it. Do you remember Jeremiah when he said, Thy words were found and I ate them? In Jeremiah 15, And thy words became for me the joy and the delight of my heart. Listen, do you want to be pure? Pursue God. Declare his word from your lips. And thirdly here, delight in it. Make it more esteemed than anything else. Jeremiah, he said there, it became for, the jo- for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Job said, I have not departed from the commandment or the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Here's his delight. I'm just giving you a proactive way. He said, well, Scott, why are you sharing that? Because as you pump the world into your mind and into your heart, then it's going to dull your thirst for the living God. In fact, you remember the parallel psalm? You don't have to turn there. In Psalm 19, where he said, More desirable than gold, yes, and much fine gold. In fact, the psalmist here, look at Psalm 119. Just look over at 103. He look over at 103. He says there, he says, how sweet are your words to, the, to my taste, 103, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You say, but, but pastor, I don't always delight in his word. In fact, some of you, I shouldn't say this, but I, I smiled. You park your Bible in your car on the shelf in the car. And maybe you just pick it up when you come out here this morning. And, and you've gone all week without it, okay? And, and you're not delighting in it. Well, there could be a number of reasons for that. You don't see the value of it. You don't know the immense value that it's worth and the wisdom that it gains. You, 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 I suppose you could be in the flesh and you just avoided it. You could be in sin, but can I just show you one thing? I wrote this down this morning. Look over in James. I want to just take you there. I don't want to get distracted, and I don't want to take a positive and make it a negative. He's talking about here, delighting in the Word of God, but I'll show you something that will make you not delight in His Word, just being honest with you, okay? Just trying to be your pastor and share this with you. Do you remember in James chapter 1, where he says, um, verse 19, know this, my beloved brother, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, And he's really talking not against people. He's talking about God. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here's what I wanted to show you in 121. He said put away all filthiness. I mean just have to look at this. And rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness. The implanted what? Word. Which is able to save your soul. Hold on just for a second there. If. You do not put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. You will never in humility be able to receive the word. And the word has as its chief end to, don't think of salvation there. He already talked about salvation in the previous verse. That, that word received in meekness is able to deliver your soul. So if you're pumping pornography into your mind every week then you're going to tell me you're not going to delight in it. You say, well Scott, what are you trying to say? You need to come clean before God confess your sin confess, I'm just telling you James the wickedness and in humility receive the word and as you receive the word it will be able to deliver your soul but the delight can't come if you're messing with sin. In in fact, you know, go, go, go over, if you're still there in James, you go over one page in Peter. Let me see if I can get this right. In Peter, I think it's 1 Peter 1, where he, does he not say the same thing there? Um, I'm trying to look for it where he, yeah, you see it in two 1 Peter one. Do, do you know this? Here's the order. He said, put away all malice. And in other words, deal with it and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander, and then, you know this one too, too, like newborn babes long for the spiritual milk that you may grow. But you understand, you're not going to long for nothing while you're holding on to your sin. And as your pastor, I'm just going to tell you that. Not because I feel like you know, I, I don't want you to think I'm speaking. I don't know what the Spirit of God will do this, but until you deal with your sin, you're not going to long for the pure milk of the Word of God. So here he's just setting this up as a means of grace, but you might be convicted, so we, maybe we should move on. Look at the fourth point, okay? You've got to deal with it, okay? And then you're going to be able to declare. Then you're going to be able to delight. And the last one is you meditate on God's Word. You, you meditate on God's word. You see it in verse 15. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You know, the idea of meditating is you're chewing, if you will, on the cut. It was represented in the agricultural area or, or an animal, I should say that, where a, a, an animal would chew and chew and chew. Then he'd swallow it and then he'd regurgitate it back up and then he'd chew some more. This is, you need to meditate on the word of God. So I'm asking you, you say, why do I say that? Here's the path to personal purity. Pursue God's word, declare his word from your lips. Thirdly, delight in his word, cut out sin. And now fourthly, you gotta meditate on your word. You know, one thing that always helped me as a young man is I realized you can't think of the same, you can't dwell on one thing or or two things at a time. You can only dwell on one is what I'm trying to say. And you say, well, Scott, certainly I can multitask, and yeah, you can do that. But one thing that helped me, you're either dwelling on his word or you're dwelling on sin. You're either fixing and feasting your mind on God's word or fixing and feasting on sin, but it helped me to realize I can't compartmentalize my life. And I just say that to help you. So what you ought to do proactively is meditate on his word. And this is what the psalmist did. He said, "I'm going to meditate on you, on your precepts. I'm going to fix my eyes on you." Swindoll tells this story. I think it was helpful. It's a little bit open. I don't know if he was giving this to a group of men, but I thought it was helpful. Not Swindoll the older man. He's probably closer to 80s. He's looking back when he was in his early 20s. He said I was in the Marines. And he said, some of the time I was stationed in Japan, 8,000 lonely miles away from my wife and my family. He was married, then went off to serve. He said, lots of free time and plenty of opportunities to drift into sexual sin. For those who didn't want a commitment to one woman, he said there was an island of full of available one-nighters, brightly lit bars with absolutely, he said, gorgeous. And then he qualified it externally, he said, that is females of any nationality you please. That business was open, he said, seven nights a week, 365 days a year. He said the sensual temptation was fierce, he said, to say the least. He said, I was in my 20s. I was a Christian. I was also, Swindall said, 100% human. He said, it didn't take me long to realize that I had to learn, he said, to force my body to behave. I had to be different from every other Marine on liberty. He said, I developed ways to stay busy. I occupied my time with creative involvements. When walking along the streets, he said, I walked fast. He said, I refuse to linger and allow my body to respond to the glaring signals. My eyes, he said, look straight ahead. Sometimes I literally ran to my destination. I consciously forced myself to tune out the music. I disciplined my mind. Here's why I read this. Through intensive reading and a scripture memory program. He said, I began most days praying for God's strength to get me through. He said the battle was difficult, but the commitment to sexual purity, he said, paid rich spiritual dividends. Listen, what are you meditating on? You say, well, uh, Scott, I just, uh, listen, I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to induce guilt on you. But I want to encourage you. You've got to meditate on this book. And that was the only thing that Swindoll said. Got him through Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But shall, you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall be careful to do according to all that it is written. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. You shall meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1, 2, but his delight, you know that great psalm in Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, what, day and night. And so he fixes his eyes on the truth of the word of God. Verse 16, he delights in the word of God. In other words, as he's meditating on it, as he's declaring it, as he's pursuing God, he's meditating, and then he's delighting it, and, and again in verse 16. And then he says in verse 16, because of that, look at it. He said, I'll not forget your word. I'm not going to forget it. In other words, he packed it in his heart. He stored it up in his heart. He was reading the scripture. I don't know if I've shared this with you. Probably I shouldn't. It's probably personal. But maybe I've shared this. There's not a morning that I come down to my house that I don't see my girls, my twins, in the word of God. They're up before me sometimes. And they're just packing it deep in their hearts. Now, maybe you're, you would say that. Your kids do that. But I'm telling you, as their father, not a day goes by where that Bible's not open somewhere. Studying, memorizing, delighting in it. Not forgetting his words. You pray for them. I wrote in the Bible of my son one time. wasn't my quote. I think I got it from Bunyan, and I wrote in Johnny's Bible, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book, right? This book either keeps you from sin, or your sin will keep you from this book, Here's a fourfold path to personal purity to enable the child of God to find purity in the midst of a cesspool of sin. You pursue God, okay? You declare his word. You delight in his word. You meditate on his word, and you're going to find that it's going to be pure. Let me just leave you with this. Do you ever meet people who got one of their fingers gone? Sometimes accidents happen, and they, they say, Yes, God, I, I do fine. I just can't grip. Though, I, I'm fine. I'm fine, but I just can't. They've either lost a thumb or the index finger or the pinky, I, you know, and in some kind of they just can't grip. And I, I like to say this you need to have a firm grip on the Word of God, a five fold grip. You say, What do you mean by that? And I'm telling you this to your own hearts. Here's five ways that you can connect this to your life hearing the Word of God, and you're here today. Aren't you glad you came? You say, I don't know, Scott. I'm kind of just slinking down in my chair. You're killing me. Listen, this may be hard to hear, but listen, you have no idea where sin's going to take you. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, faster than you want to go, further than you want to go. And listen, I'm giving you a means of grace right here. But you need to be in the hearing of the Word of God. You're here, okay? Secondly, you need to read the Word of God. Systematic, daily, I don't know. I don't want to say... But you need to have a regular habit of not only number one, hearing, secondly, reading, thirdly, meditating, meditating. So what do you mean meditating? Chewing on the scripture. You know, one of the things I did in my life early on, uh, John told me this, MacArthur. So said, John, how do you read the Bible? He said, Scott, here's what I do. When I was a young man, he goes, I would just take seven chapters of the Bible and read them every day for 30 days. I said, really? What do you mean? You mean you don't go through the whole? No, I just read those seven chapters every day. For how many days? 30 days. He said, by the end of 30 days, you've almost memorized great portions of Scripture. And I thought if it works for him, I thought I'm going to try it. And I loved it. Changed my life because it allowed me to meditate. Fourthly, fourth grip on the hand is memorizing. You're meditating. You're chewing. You're thinking. You're dwelling. You're memorizing. And the fifth one is studying. Okay? Okay studying. So hearing, reading, meditating, memorizing, and studying. You say, why so, Scott? That's a five-fold grip on the Word of God, and some of you might have a pinky grip. You say, what do you mean a pinky grip? You're here in the hearing of it, and I want to push you to get a firm grip on that. You say, I don't know where to start. Well, talk to someone, (laughs) but start somewhere. Start reading uh, uh, seven chapters every day for 30 days. It'll change your life. Listen, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any what? Two-edged sword, it says. Piercing is the division of the soul and spirit, both point, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Amen? I promise you it'll change you. You just have to put yourself under it. You say, Well, Scott, sometimes I don't feel like reading. Well. That may be true, but you can still read, and it will affect you. Amen?